Testing. Oh! Rafa, I'm going to put your mic here by the guitar. Okay? Hmm. Nothing like live church. (laughs) Christmas is a season of joy. And we know this everywhere we go, season of joy. And so we celebrate, we come here, we're having fun. And yet, we also know that it is a time for many of loneliness unspoken. Loneliness unspoken. We may not use that word for it, lonely, but the sense of social isolation, the sense of being disconnected is real, it's there. It's like we're seen, but not known. And that has lonely around it. Psychologists say that Loneliness is pervasive in our culture. Uh, For some time, some of us, sometimes it's like the ghosts of Christmas past that are just haunting this current season. Maybe for others, it's this feeling of sadness or depression that you you don't know where it's coming from, but it's kind of settling in on you and you're feeling secluded. Sometimes we isolate ourselves, don't we? We feel like it might be a safer place for us. I do that. Sometimes loneliness even turns more inward and starts feeding on itself. Has that ever happened to you? You ever have a pity party? I do. Pity party. Nobody really knows me. Nobody cares about me. You know, nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. And, um, and so sometimes what I do, maybe you can relate to this, throw myself into my work and then Show people how great I am to be around so that maybe if I'm more successful, then they'll want to have me with them. Lonely is at the the center of that. Some people turn to possessions or shopping. That little dopamine rush, you know, that kind of pops in there to take the edge off of something. What is it? Oh, could it be loneliness? And then there's social media. Now, you may not like me saying this, so I'll just tell you on the front end. Um, But in many ways, you know, it seems to me to be a new thief. And what I mean by that is, um, think about it. Every time you are thinking about how somebody is going to perceive your adventure, once you post it, instead of living full into your adventure as it's happening in real time, aren't you losing something? That's what I'm wondering about. Every time you take a selfie, what actually happens? Okay, the event is awesomely cool. You're at the Disney castle or some meal and you're with, something is happening and what do you do? You turn your back on it to look at yourself in a screen. And then what do you do? Well, you post it on Instagram or tweet it out or something and then what do you do? Then you start wondering, why aren't I getting more likes? Was it something I said, right? Something I wrote? And now really, what's actually happening is, you know, we call it being connected, social media, but are you really being more socially connected or is that more about a heightened self-consciousness? What's what's really happening there? Um, Every time you check your device, instead of maintaining eye contact with the person you're with, You're losing something. You're disconnecting from the real-time, real relating to have it mediated somehow through a device. And this is strange to me 
Because you know, in our culture, we like food. We, you know, there's a lot of foodies today. And, uh, and disdaining processed food for the organic real thing, right? So I'm thinking, how is it that we can be so preferential on getting the real thing when it comes to food, but when it comes to personal relating, we'd rather go virtual and have it mediated through a device, processed relating? I read that today the urge to check social media is stronger than our urge for sex. It's in a medical report. Does that sound like an issue to anybody? <laughs> One study shows, science shows that the mere presence of a cell phone while two people are talking is interfering with their sense of closeness and connectedness. The studies are now starting to come out about it. So we may not be calling it loneliness, we may call it something else, but that need, that crying out for some kind of relief is very present. So you know what we do about that? We self-medicate. We turn to alcohol or drugs. We turn to uh, promiscuity or pornography. Some people have an extramarital affair because of loneliness. So what I'm saying is loneliness can be very dangerous, and yet every one of us struggles with loneliness at some time in our lives. No one escapes it. And it's even there in the Christmas story. Where? Well, with the shepherds. The characters we visit today are defined by lonely. These are the guys in the Christmas program wearing burlap. We tend to romanticize them. But in reality, in history, shepherds have more often been ostracized. These are the, the outsiders. Shepherds know what it means to be lonely. Now, not long ago, I saw an article headline in a UK paper. It said, shepherds wanted must enjoy drizzle and loneliness. Right in the headline. It was the National Trust. They were looking for a shepherd to take care of 1,600 sheep in Wales, but they wanted you to know, the applicant to know, that the job would involve long days of isolation and mountain rain. Shepherds know about lonely. But in the New Testament, the first century shepherds there at the uh, Christmas story, loneliness was more than a job description. In our culture, we have Fortune 500. You know what the shepherds would have been on? For misfortune 500. I mean, these guys are at the low end of the bottom rung of the social ladder, the lowest working class. They were right down there with tax collectors and with dung sweepers. And that's where the shepherds were. And in fact, the Jewish gospel writers don't even include them. It's the Gentile, Luke, that writes them in. And I'm wondering, maybe it's because as an outsider to the Jewish faith, he knew what it felt like to be judged a less than. You know, one of the uncircumcised. By the way, Christianity Today magazine reports that the four most common complaints about Christians today from non-Christians are these. You don't listen to me, you judge me, you, your faith confuses me, and you look for what's wrong instead of making it right. You talk about what's wrong. And what occurs to me in hearing those is that on the other end of those is this sense, lonely. Loneliness gets communicated. So I'm wondering if Dr. Luke the Gentile felt an affinity with the shepherds because of loneliness. Dr. Joachim Jeremias is a scholar in Near Eastern Studies and he says shepherds were despised in everyday New Testament times. They were considered second class. They were um, considered untrustworthy. 
He noted that shepherds had no civil rights, could not hold judicial office. They could not be admitted as witnesses in court. That shepherds were, were essentially or, or typically dirty and distanced from the mainstream of social life, and they were considered ritually defiled. That's not kosher because of their unclean contact. So, and if you pay attention in the Bible story, they're not even named. You know, other stories have people called out by name, not the shepherds. These are the, the unnamed unknown in the story. They are the downtrodden underdogs in their culture. So all of that to say this, how fascinating it is that when Mary delivers her baby boy and Joseph is standing sentinel there in your nativity scene, however you've got it set up, that these guys are the first to receive the official announcement of the birth, shepherds. Shepherds. I mean, from fields just outside Bethlehem, it's a little town about five and a half miles outside of Jerusalem. How does Luke even know that happened? Well, scholars think, and I'll tell you why, you know, at the very beginning of his book, when he's writing, he says that he carefully investigated the stories as they were handed down from the eyewitnesses. What eyewitnesses? Well, scholars think that Luke probably got this story from Mary. Can you imagine Luke sitting down with Mary a little later in life and he's taking notes, you know, and uh, he's saying, uh, how about the night Jesus was born? Can you tell me about that? And she says, well, uh, there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws. You know what signs are, right? You'll, this is a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great company of the heavenly host that joined the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace. To men on whom his favor rests. Would that be wild? Can you imagine? I mean, you're a shepherd. Verse eight says, chapter two, Luke chapter two, verse eight says, you live in the fields with your sheep. So hey, no house for you. No bed for you, ever. You're camping out in the daytime. You're camping out at the nighttime. You're not a part of the life in the city at all. Not in the town. No, no, no. You live in the fields with your sheep every night and every day. You are an outlier. You are an outsider to much of life. But not on this night. On this night, you got front row seats to the big show uncommon attention for the most common man. And I think the main message for me is right there. None are so far down that God can't lift them up. We are never so far down that God can't lift us up. And oh my, look, look what God does. Verse nine, the angel of the Lord appeared to them appeared. Now the sense of that word isn't that he kept his distance like everybody else in culture was doing from them, society. No, it's like, no, he's right there. 
This is what it means. Up close and personal. He's right, look, he's right there. That's what's happening here. And he's next to them. And then the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is like 360 glory going on. Glory, by the way, the brightness of God's glory. This is more than a high wattage light show. This is God's own personal radiance. Glory is the word doxa, from which we get doxology, which means the source of our praise. And God's own glory is radiating. This is burning bush stuff. Like with Moses, the glory of the Lord. This isn't a knockoff. This is the real thing. The bright, shining radiance of Yahweh God is on this angel. And the angel, fresh with this glow from being in the presence of God, says this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Like, it's obviously terrifying, right? They're scared. They're scared. They're scared. The angel has to calm them down. It's like, God, they literally have the fear of God in them. And the angel says, I didn't come here to scare you. I came here to help. I bring good news of great joy. The word great there is mega. This is like mega joy, which is for all people. You'll never see somebody for whom this joy wasn't intended. All people. For today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So there's the shepherd's experience. Okay, put that over here. Forget the shepherds for a moment and think about that angel. Think about that angel. What was that like? Message bearer of almighty God, glowing with God's radiance. What did that feel like? Can you imagine how that angel felt? How long had he been waiting for just that precise moment in time to make the announcement of all announcements? been rehearsing his lines, you know he had, eagerly anticipating this incredible moment. This is the kind, you want to get this one right the first time. This is one of those Neil Armstrong kind of things. You know, one small step, one giant leap. This is that. And the angel steps out from the darkness in the radiance and says what? I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, I doubt that angels have stage moms, but I'm thinking there's somebody backstage going, he nailed it. <laughs> you know, man, great job, right? And then suddenly, and the night is bursting with this dazzling brilliance of a heavenly army of angels. Glory to God in the highest peace on earth, goodwill to men. And God is bringing up there, down here, and he is coming all the way down. This is incredible. This is breathtakingly incredible, but even more amazing is the reason why. And that is summarized in one word, Savior. Savior, Christ the Lord has come to save, to rescue, to redeem, to restore, to preserve, to deliver. What does that mean? It means none are so far gone, none are so far down that God can't lift them up. Listen, we are never so far down. You, you are never so far down that God cannot lift you up. In a survey, Americans were asked, what are your favorite words to hear? You know what the first words were? Yes, you do. I love you. 
Favorite words to hear, first favorite words to hear, I love you. You know what the second ones were? I forgive you. You know what the third ones were? Supper's ready. (laughs) I get that, right? Mark Rutland says, this is a gospel story. It's all right there. We are loved by God. We are forgiven by God. And we are invited to the banquet table. That's what savior means. It means that in a lonely, in a world, in the midst of a lonely planet like ours, so scarred by alienation and isolation and brokenness, the good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, is that God has an antidote for loneliness. Savior. Many times loneliness is a spiritual void a spiritual vacuum that is crying to be filled. And God says, I have what it takes. Savior, and responds with love, forgiveness, understanding, acceptance, and validation. So then the obvious question is, how do we get in on that? You know, how can we experience that gift? And the answer the Bible gives and that the shepherds were invited to demonstrate was faith, by faith. How do you do that? Well, here's... A fresh take on faith. Trust it to be true and trust it to be for you. That's what faith does. Trust it to be true. Trust it to be for you. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm seeing a few lessons rise out of the shepherd's story. And the first one is this. Let God be your friend. Can you imagine that? Let God be your friend. Let him come close. I mean, like right there. He's right there. Don't be afraid. Now, if you're the shepherd and you're following the sign, when you arrive at the birthplace and you see the sign, you're looking for the sign, right? And you see the sign. The sign is a baby wrapped in claws in a feed trough. What do you think if you're a shepherd? That feels pretty familiar to you because you've been around feed troughs all your life. What is God saying? Welcome home. I'm right here. In the middle of what you, I get you. God is very comfortable in a manger. God is not put off by the grittiness, by the dirtiness of our lives. God is, our circumstances cannot keep him out. What God is saying is, I'm all in. If the baby in a food trough says anything, it says that. God gets you. God is not far from you. Doesn't matter what mangy circumstance you might find yourself in. God is saying, I love you. I'm here for you. And that's where it begins. Will you let God be your friend? Even in the mangiest places of your life. Next, let forgiveness have its way. They were invited to do that. Part of what Savior means, you know. They had to leave what they were doing, turn from their own way, and go to where Savior was, to go God's way. And once they experience Savior, what happens? Well, I can tell you what happens. You experience forgiveness. Forgiveness that covers your sins, that erases your guilt, that removes your shame, that washes out the stain and wipes the slate clean. That's what forgiveness does. That's what Savior means. Let the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world take away the sins of your world. And you've got them. You know you do. You know I do. We all do. That's why Savior came. 
but God made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's what Savior means. Now, some, uh, some scholars believe these shepherds may have been the ones who tended the flock of the little lambs that were born intended for offering at temple sacrifice. You know, it's just a, a short distance to Jerusalem where the temple was, and Bethlehem shepherds may well have been the ones looking over those lambs that would be sacrificed at the temple. How fitting that God's Passover lamb would be born there. What we learn from scripture is that Savior was born to die. Why? That he might set us free from our sin, forgiveness, the penalty of sin. So here's what God says second. First, he says, I love you. I'm here for you. Then he says, I forgive you. I've got you covered. And then what? Well, let, next, let your Christmas Savior bring you to the table God has set for you. Doesn't matter where you find yourself on the ladder of success or failure in life. Doesn't matter what label people put on you. Married, divorced, single, liberal, conservative, whatever. Doesn't matter what the mess you're in, the besetting sin. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, whatever, whatever your race or place in the world, God has grace at the Savior's church, which is not a showcase for saints, but is meant to be a safe place for sinners like shepherds where the lonely find love and where shame meets grace and where God says, there's a place at my table with your name on it and they're invited to step in. What's the point? We're never so far down. Are you listening to me? Are you listening with your heart? Are you thinking about what this really means? You, me, we are never so far down that God won't lift us up, that he can't lift us up. How does he do it? Well, he does it when you let yourself be loved, when you let yourself be forgiven, when you let yourself come to his table and find your place at his table. Now, the Beatles... The Beatles have been called the greatest, most significant rock band in history. And I'm not going to argue with you about that. Maybe you disagree. But when I read that, it made me go back to their number one hits. You know what I found there? You'd be surprised how many of their songs deal with being lonely. Yesterday. Nowhere Man. Eleanor Rigby. No, that song has its real frontal right in the chorus. It says this, all the lonely people. Where do they all belong? And the shepherds have the answer. <laughs> the Savior. The Savior, they say. Have you found him yet? You're lonely, yes. Maybe you're just now starting to realize, oh, that's what this is. That's what I'm feeling. I feel like I'm invisible, like nobody knows me, like nobody cares. Jesus does. And God's answer to your loneliness is Savior. Have you found him yet? If your answer is no, then how do you do it? You let him be your friend. You let your heart be open to his love. You let your heart receive his forgiveness and you let your soul join him at the table that is set for you. So if you haven't done that, today's the right day to do that. Today's the day of salvation. Some of you are thinking, uh, I've already done that, Bill. What about me? 
And maybe you're feeling a little lonely too. Well, the shepherds have an answer for us there. Because chances are there's a lonely someone in your life, an Eleanor Rigby, that if you were to turn off your device and if you were to listen with your heart, that you might see that she does leave her face in a jar by the door and she puts it on every day and goes out into a world that doesn't care, that doesn't know her, and then she gets back home and takes her face off and then suddenly lonely again. Is there anybody who could know what that feels like? Oh yeah, shepherds do. I know what the mangy place feels like. I know what the lonely place feels like. And that helps me be sensitive to somebody else's lonely place so that when the Eleanor Rigby shows up in my life, I know what to do. That's what we learn from this story. If you know Christ, the way to let his love flow and resolve loneliness is to share it. So here's what we can do. Let's just remember the story once again. You can do what God did in the Christmas story with the shepherds. First, you can enter their world. You can enter her world. You can get out of your comfort zone and out of your selfie zone and into the real relating zone and you can take some light in there. It's dark out there, but you can take some light into her night, can't you? And then what you could do is just share some good news. Don't judge, don't point fingers. You can be sensitive to her fear because it's scary sometimes. When you're used to wearing a mask and you're supposed to take it off and if you're not loved well, then that's hard to do. It's scary. So then you can be sensitive to her fear and offer some calm. I didn't come to pick a fight. No, I came to spread some peace, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And then you might invite her to the table where you've been feeding. Has God been nourishing your soul through anything in particular from any place that you go in particular that you might be able to invite somebody else to find something, and then you could help her experience Jesus' love and see how Jesus, as God fulfills his promises, actually does so in a way that meets her need, validates her worth, and resolves some of that loneliness. Our world desperately needs a place where shame meets grace, and Jesus is that place. And when that happens, the Savior is the answer to loneliness. Now, you know what else happens? By the end of the story, uh, it says once the shepherds met Jesus, they didn't keep the news to themselves. You know, I'm thinking, you know, they could have started a little shepherd's club because they were all there the night it happened. It's like, hey, wasn't that cool? And every Sunday they could get together in the little shepherd's club and say, wow, remember the lights? Remember the angel? Remember what they said? Yeah, wasn't it so cool to be there? They didn't do that. You know what they did? They spread it around. They started telling people who weren't even there. Why? Because this is good news of mega joy, which is meant for all people. What I'm wondering is, you know, that's our challenge. Verse 17 says, they spread the word. That's our challenge this Christmas as a church in a lonely city. You feel this? that maybe you having found him could now become the shepherd for somebody out there who feels like a lonely sheep, but your attention and your invitation might help them have a little less lonely of a Christmas this year. What do you think?
help me, Lord, help us. We're so awestruck by the, the reality of this truth that you would not leave us to our own misguided devices, but that you came and you invited us. You loved us, you forgive us, you invite us to meet you and find you and then to share what we have in you with others. So we're so grateful for that. And I'm praying for somebody here right now who has felt lonely, just didn't know that was what to call it. But I pray that, that they could experience the antidote by leaning closer into you and finding you to be doing the same with them. Even now. And especially for someone who feels like they're invisible. They've been ostracized. They've been left out. And yet you see them, you know them, you love them. You are here for them. And if that's you, friend, here's what you can do. It's a prayer that I prayed years ago. God, if you're real, show me. Would you say that to him? Lord, if you're real, show me. And then I can tell you within 24 hours of that prayer, I prayed another one just like this. Lord, forgive my sins. Come into my life and make me the person you would have me be. You can pray that right now. And then take the next step of faith to follow. With our heads bowed just for a moment, if you prayed to ask Christ to come into your life with me just then, and in the forgiveness of sins, to take the next step toward him, would you let me pray for you and ask God's blessing? Just slip your hand up for a moment, hold it, in the, hold it up until I have a chance to look around the room. If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner you can click right there on the screen right now. Thank you, down here to my right in the front, God bless you. And then a little bit farther toward the middle in my right, God bless you. In the center, right back in the middle, thank you, sir. And then over to my left, thank you, sir. Got a light shirt on, I see you. Lord, for every person by uplifted hand who is saying, my heart is open, would we pray that you would fill their, that lonely place with your love and that your Holy Spirit would make you so real in their presence that they now would have a story to tell and to share for somebody else as we make our prayer in your name, amen.